from this morning for the Christmas message is Matthew chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. Let me just say that it's good to be back with y'all today. Missed y'all last Sunday. I can say as food poisoning is not something that I would wish on my worst enemy. It's good to be back. I appreciate Danny being able to fill in at such short notice. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, let's stand together as we read from God's Word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. God, I just... Lord, I pray that you would take... Just the meaning of this that we just read. God, every year it can be such a routine thing, just a tradition. But God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, this will be anything but an annual tradition. Lord, may you take the truth contained in this and what this means for us today and absolutely wreck our lives with your truth, Lord that we may know you more, that we may love you more and worship you the way that you deserve to be worshipped. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the biggest mistakes that I believe that we make with the gospel is looking at it as a way of meeting needs of 21st century America. What I mean by that is looking at a relationship with Jesus as a means to help us be more successful, keep us from being poor, help make us safe, or using it as a justification for our greed and materialism. It's thinking that a relationship with God can make us a better athlete, help us be a better student and get better grades or hope that it will ensure us a good boyfriend, girlfriend, or mate. It's using the gospel in a way to gain the things that we tend to value most as Americans. The problem with doing that is the fact that the three main needs that the gospel actually does meet are felt by almost nobody in America. And if the needs that the gospel intended to meet are not the needs that we feel most, then Christmas every year will be nothing more than a baby in a manger, a character 
in an old story. The heart of what Christmas is all about, of what the gospel is all about, is in verse 21 of what the angel said to Joseph. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people. It's what the angels announced to the shepherds that starry night in Luke 2.11. For today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you, who is Christ the Lord. The first point, if you're following along in your notes there in your bulletin, is this. Christmas is about God putting in place the way to save people. Not a way, but the only way to save people. So, is being saved one of the felt needs of 21st century America? It depends, doesn't it? It depends on what we're being saved from or what we're being saved for. And my sense is that the three main needs that the gospel is designed to meet are felt by almost nobody. So what are those needs? We can see the first one in the angel's message to Joseph. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the first need that the gospel meets is the need to be saved from the power of sin. Is that a felt need in America? Well, I submit that it's not, mainly because it's hard to feel a need that is rarely acknowledged. Rarely in our culture today will you hear sin called for what it is. We'll make excuses for it and call it a disease or a sickness and then address it with medicine and counseling. Or we'll embrace it all together and call it an alternative lifestyle. But rarely will we call it what it is, own it, and confess that we are absolutely controlled by the power of sin, completely helpless to do anything about it and needing to be saved from it. You know, there's a saying that rings pretty true that simply says you can't You cannot heal what you do not acknowledge. If we don't admit that we are sinful and in need of saving, guilty and in need of forgiveness, broken and in need of healing, then what are we going to call on Jesus for? We are left to look to him only at meeting needs that he never came to meet in the first place. We've been going through Romans for most of 2015 now. And it is there in verses 9 through 11 of chapter 5 that we find the other two needs that the gospel meets. Let's look there. It says, Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Did you see it? Verse 9 says that we are saved from the wrath of God. So that's the second need that we have, to be saved from God's wrath. And wrath is defined not just as anger, but extreme anger. Through faith in Jesus, we are saved from God's extreme anger. And some of you might be thinking, whoa, wait a minute. 
thought God was just all loving and stuff. Well, He is loving. But you will never know the fullness of His love until you are first saved from the severity of His wrath. It is His burning wrath towards sin, rebellion, and the belittling of His great name that we will absorb apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And this is also part of the Christmas message. Luke 2 again, when the multitude of angels appeared to the shepherds, they were singing praises to God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. The phrase peace on earth is something that I believe we often misinterpret as something other than what they meant by that. It does not mean the absence of conflict on earth. If that was the case, then it looks like Jesus failed at his mission. If the angels are saying that the birth of Christ is going to bring about peace among all men and among all nations on earth, then either the angels lied or Jesus failed. Because I don't know if you have noticed or not, but peace in the world right now, peace on this earth is very much the exception rather than the rule. Chaos abounds here on earth and peace is very scarce so what happened well the angels wouldn't have made an announcement that they knew wasn't true and jesus did not fail at his mission and so they must mean something else when they say peace on earth the peace i believe that they are talking about is the peace between god in heaven and man on earth Instead of there being wrath from God, a way has been made for us to have peace with Him. And notice that it doesn't say that this peace applies to everyone on earth. It's limited to a certain group of people. It's a peace among men with whom He is pleased. Only those who God is pleased with are going to experience this peace with him instead of his wrath. Okay, then how do we please God? I can tell you right now, it's not through a bunch of good behavior. This is not, he knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. We do not try to please God the way we would try to please Santa Claus. Isaiah 53 is a prophecy of the coming Messiah who would be sacrificed For our sins. And look at what verse 10 says. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The only way to gain God's pleasure is through the death of his son. Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to what? Please him. Faith in what? Faith in the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice. We are found pleasing to God through Christ alone. And those who are pleasing to God through the blood of his son 
are at peace with him forever. We are saved from God's wrath because Jesus absorbed it for us at the cross. And this leads us to the third need that the gospel meets. Back to Romans 5, we find it in verse 11, where it says, And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Exult means to feel or show great happiness. Through Jesus, we are saved to a place with God where he becomes our all-satisfying joy. Is this a felt need of most Americans? The need to find our satisfaction in God? I can tell you right now, every one of us feels that. We feel the need to, be, to find our satisfaction in something because God wired us that way. He, he created that desire within us. But instead of looking for it to be filled in Jesus, we look for it in a myriad of other things. We try to find our satisfaction through success and achievement. We try to find our satisfaction in our spouse or in our children or in material things or try to find it in the praise and acceptance of others. I'll tell you right now, I promise you that this sets us up for a whole lot of frustration and resentment and hurt because God never intended for any of those things to fully satisfy us. Our complete satisfaction can only be found in Him. So there they are. The message of Christmas is that God has provided a way for our three greatest needs to be met. Saved from sin, saved from God's wrath, and saved for the complete enjoyment of God Himself. There is not a word in here about being saved from poverty, being saved from failure, being saved from human rejection, being saved from physical harm or abuse, being saved from having your children die, or being saved from terrorism. In fact, the gospel contains no promise at all of improving most of the felt needs of the majority of Americans. It simply offers not what we might want the most, but what we need the most. Freedom from the power and control of sin, the appeasement of God's anger, his wrath towards us, and the full enjoyment of the most glorious being in the universe forever. And one last thing I want to say about the gospel in relation to Christmas. You know, in all the decorations of the season that we've been seeing for the last several weeks, you see a lot of symbolism in those things. Every traditional element, it seems, represents something uh, that has to do with the birth of Christ. The presence under the tree, symbolic of the gifts of the wise men, all the lights that we put up symbolize the fact that The light has come into the world. My six-year-old daughter, Hope, came home from school the other day all excited to tell us what she learned about the meaning of the candy cane. 
She said you hold it one way and it's in the shape of the letter J for Jesus. And you turn it the other way and it's a, a shepherd's staff. And the red stripes represent the blood of Jesus and the white stripes the fact that all our sins have been washed away by his blood. I didn't know that. Did y'all know that? <laughs> it's pretty neat. Learn something all the time. But all of these pieces of symbolism that we see around us are shadows that point back to God putting on flesh. We know that the Old Testament does the same thing, but in reverse. The Old Testament of the Bible is full of shadows that point forward to God putting on flesh. The story of Noah was about a greater family being saved from a greater destruction. The story of Moses was ultimately about a greater man leading a greater people into a greater promised land. The story of David was really about a greater king who would rule over a greater kingdom. The temple was about a greater dwelling of the presence of God. And anytime I preach on a text from the Old Testament, you know I always show how it is pointing to the gospel. They were all shadows of a greater substance. And so the last point in your notes is that Christmas is the replacement of shadows with the real thing. Because we now have Emmanuel, God with us. We no longer have to learn or yearn from past experiences that are behind us because of what God has done, starting with the birth of his son through a young virgin Jewish girl, our Red Sea has been parted. Our giants have been slain. The presence of God has ascended on the mountain. Fire from heaven has come down. The presence of God himself now resides in the temple. Us, you and me. And so Christmas means not only that God has provided a way for our main needs to be met, but that the climax of history has already occurred. You and I are now living with the effects of the climax. Nothing that happens from here on out will ever be as great as what God did through Jesus. Nothing. And there are some pretty great things that are still coming up. You know, we were singing in the first service, just singing that Agnus Day and just the glorious praises of, of Jesus. And I was imagining those shepherds after the angels telling them what to go look for and then them walking over those fields in the dark and really not knowing for sure what this was all about. And then them walking up to that stable. And there he was. And the wise men studying all the prophecies in the Old Testament about the king who was going to come, the savior who was coming. And in seeing how the stars were lining up just as things had been foretold and them traveling miles and miles and miles over several countries and then finally getting there and seeing him and there 
He was right there. And I was thinking how great that would have been to be one of the shepherds or to be one of the wise men where after all that searching and traveling that you finally get there and your eyes fall on him and there he is. And the Holy Spirit reminded me. He said, Jason, I give people opportunities to experience that very same thing every day. People who have been living in this world searching for meaning, searching for satisfaction, searching for freedom, for the things that are binding them up. They're searching and searching, and one day I open their eyes and they go, oh my, there he is. There he is. The answer to everything that I've been looking for. And so this Christmas, let's celebrate it, not as the remembrance of something that happened long ago, but as the celebration of what has been made available to us now. He's here. Emmanuel, God, not just with us, but in us. Let's pray. Lord, what an incredible thing to grasp. How you in your infinite perfection would come and step into a broken messed up, dangerous, sinful world and purposely die. And in doing so, meeting our greatest needs. Lord, I pray that you would open someone's eyes in this place. Someone who has been looking to you to meet some things that you never promised to meet. Lord, if there are people in here who just haven't really realized their greatest needs, God, I pray that you would open their eyes up to that reality, the things that they need most in this world, and to see that you are the only remedy for that. Lord, we thank you for what we have been given. Where we have been given it freely. So I pray, Lord, it would be so real to us, and so tangible, that we can't help but to freely give it. Holy Spirit, would you come now and just speak to and minister to our hearts. Open the eyes that need to be open. Open ears to hear your call. And Lord, let this Christmas be a Christmas like unlike any other. Lord, we love you. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for allowing us to be in on the effects of the climax of history. You're so awesome, Lord, and we praise your name. Amen. We're going to continue worshiping the Lord for a little bit.
And I hope what you have heard this morning just served to intensify your worship to God just a little bit, your desire for him. And if you're one of those in here this morning who for the first time are having your eyes open to your real need to be set free from sin and you're trusting Jesus and you realize he is the only remedy for that, come and let me know. I'm going to be standing right down here. I want to pray with you. I want to rejoice and celebrate with you. For those of us who know what we have in Jesus, let's all stand and worship him for that.